of the manual, you will notice on page 6 of the manual, chapter 2, it says it has an old covenant mindset versus a new covenant mindset. We're going to talk about that during this next session. But I want you to see in the manual there is a segment here at the bottom half of the first page there. It says Hebrews 1, 1 and 1, 2. Those scriptures which I have enlarged for you there says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, comma, verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now, notice the line drawn between the two. We have verse 1, which is referring to how God spoke to people in the old days, and verse 2 of how God spoke, speaks to people today. Now, this is one of the main changes you have to make. As long as you remain in verse 1, and you are expecting God, to speak to you through someone else, you will always be an old covenant servant mentality as opposed to a new covenant son mentality. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't accept God speaking to you through someone else. I'm not saying that God doesn't have apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers that work in the church. I'm just saying that is not your first line of communication. Okay? Just like people go to school, they have teachers. But the teachers are not to replace their mother and father. Isn't that right? It's the same thing. God spoke to the prophets because he couldn't speak to the people directly. Not everybody as a whole. Now, that wall has been broken down and he can deal directly with people individually on a continuing basis. Right? So, that's the first thing to remember. Now, it says here, God. So, that's who we're talking about. In times past, I'm skipping down there, spoke to the fathers by way of or by the prophets. Now notice this, hath in these last days. Are we in the last days? Yes, we know so because Peter said, this is that, which was spoken by, by, the, by Joel the prophet, saying that in the last days he would pour out his spirit. We know it started then. If that was the last days, we know we're in the last days. Right? So it's still the last days. So here it says, hath in these last days spoken unto us. See, in the old days, God spoke to the fathers, to the the patriarchs, by the prophets. In these last days, He speaks to us by His Son. Now, the thing to remember about Hebrews is that the whole book of Hebrews, everything in Hebrews, is designed, and its purpose is to show the superiority of Jesus over Moses, the superiority of the New Covenant over the Old Covenant, the superiority of the priesthood through Jesus over the Mosaic priesthood. Okay? That's the whole purpose. And, and Jesus, or I'm sorry, Paul, writing Hebrews, he also wrote Galatians. And if we get a chance, I doubt if we will get a chance at this point. We also have it on CD. But if we get a chance, we'll, just, we'll go into a little more detail on this. But I want to emphasize that the, both Galatians and Hebrews... Galatians was written to the churches of Galatia, and Hebrews was written to the Hebrews that were scattered throughout the area, and they were combined at one point and circulated around together, really almost as one book, even though they had difference. And some people say, well, we're not sure that Paul wrote Hebrews. Well, first off, whenever he combined the two books together, he didn't have to put his name in the second one, because it was in the first one, Okay, which is why 
is not mentioned there. Secondly, when it was first written, it wouldn't have done a lot of good to put his name in it because he wasn't highly accepted among many of the Hebrews, and especially the Hebrew Christians at that point. But now, there's a, a segment in here that if you read it in the context of everything is designed for today, meaning you know, directly written here, it's going to confuse you. But if you understand the context of when it was written, everything gets clear. And so if we look at the purpose of it being written, which is to show us the superiority of the new covenant over the old, and how there has been a complete change in, I'm not going to say how God works, but in His communication with man. Right? It is a total change. As long as you think old covenant... You are never going to take initiative. You will not take initiative. As long as you think Old Covenant, you're going to wait for God to tell you to do something. You're going to wait for all these things. You're going to wait. See, it's Old Covenant mindset that tells you to put out a fleece. Right? Hopefully you've gotten away from that. Well, you know, if, like, just like Gideon did. We don't need to put out fleeces. We have the Spirit of God abiding within us. Alright? Now, God will give us confirmations at times. But first off, do the Word. You don't need a confirmation to do the word. Now, how many of you are ex-military? Let me see your hands. Ex-military. All right. And generally, ex-military or current military tends to grab a hold of some of these principles a little bit faster than some of the others because they understand the ideas of command and things like that. Now, remember this. Everybody, not just ex-military. Everybody remember this, okay? A command does not need a leading. Isn't that right? A command, if it is a command, has within itself its own leading. It doesn't need a secondary leading. If it needs a secondary leading, it is not a command, it's a suggestion or a request. But when it's a command, it has within itself its own leading. Amen? Simple as that. The Great Commission is a command. Right? He didn't say, when you feel like it. When you feel led, if you want to, go into all the world. He said, you go into all the world. You preach the gospel. You heal the sick. All those are commands. It's not an if in any of them. Right? So if I didn't tell you anything but that, you'd have enough to get going. Because you are commanded to do it. You do not have a right to pick and choose which commands to obey. Right? If you think you do, you are not a Christian. The first step of being a Christian is to submit your will to the will of God. To call Jesus your Lord, not your friend. He is your friend, but you have to remember, see, he's my king. He's also my brother. See, he is my commander-in-chief. He's also my friend. But you see, the problem is, a lot of times, it's just like in human relations. We let familiarity rob us of some of the richness of a relationship. You get to know people too well, you see their faults, you see their mistakes, and sometimes you forget why you first got to know them was because there was something in them that you wanted. And so it's very careful. Now, the problem with this is this. People, especially men and women of God, they have to choose. Do... If I tell you I'm normal, if I tell you that, you will continually try to put me on a pedestal and say I'm being humble. When you see that I'm human, I've let you down and you turn your attention somewhere else and you go do something you don't listen to me anymore. That's the problem with being human. 
But what you have to realize is that we're all human, but we have divine command, we have divine instructions, we have divine jobs to accomplish. Now, a general in the army is just as human as a private. But regardless of his mistakes and of his humanity, he is still given authority and still given a mission to accomplish. And when people recognize that authority and they come alongside that authority or underneath that authority to operate together as a unit, then they can get something done. But until then, or if they stop doing that, then they have ceased walking together and usually have to part. So it's the same thing in the church. That we have to realize that we're all the same, yet there is authority that has to be brought to bear. God gives people vision. He gives people mission. He gives them a purpose. And if you find purpose in another, perp- in another person's life that aligns with your purpose, and they're doing something, then yeah, hook up with them and run with them. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as you can get behind the vision that they have. And if you can't get behind the vision, do not hook up with them. Because you will cause division, you'll cause trouble, and you'll end up causing offenses and trouble. Right? Now, I've had people ask me that before. Well, my church won't preach this, and what should I do? Leave. <laughs> That simple. Well, but I'm staying there to try to lead them. I'm trying to turn the pastor around. You're wrong. Right? Because did that pastor ask you to help turn him around? And if he didn't, and you're trying to turn him around, then you are subverting him. You're coming in. You're doing something undercover, so to speak. And it's wrong. Alright? Get with people of like faith and walk with them. Get behind the vision. If you can't get behind the vision, get out. One of the two. Well, I can't leave that church. I've been in that church four years. My grand, my mom and dad went to this church. My grandparents went to this church. My grand, my granddad and grandma are buried out in the cemetery out back. That's the only reason they're still there. If the thing dies, leave. Amen. That's just the way it is. Well, yeah, but I got friends there. Friendship will take you to hell. Do you understand that? If your friends go the wrong way, leave them. They're not your friends. It's better to have friends that will tell you the truth. And will stand up to you and say, this is right and that's wrong. Rather than just people that just get together. So you're going to have to make a decision what truth is. And when you come into truth, which is the only thing that the Bible says the Holy Spirit will lead you into. If you're going to be led of the Spirit, then you better be being led into truth. Now, you say, why are you bringing all this up? Because there's a question here that kind of goes into this. Because it goes into, into Matthew, actually, and says, what about in Matthew where it says, you know, if, you're, if there's unforgiveness, your, father, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Remember, you're not a Jew, more than likely. All right? If you are, then you ought to be in synagogue. You say, but I'm, I'm a Jewish Christian. No, you're a Christian. Do you understand that? You're not a Jew. You're a Christian. You get that? There's a difference. And you have to make up your mind what you're going to do. If you're going to follow the Jewish things, then follow the Jewish things. If you're going to be Christian, Christianity has no culture. Right? Christianity doesn't have talits. It doesn't have all that stuff. You get that? That's Jewish culture. God did not initiate it. God didn't do anything with it. He didn't put it together. Right? That was a culture. Do you realize Abraham was a Gentile? He wasn't Jew. He was a Gentile. Right? That's, he, he lived in Iraq. Figure that one out. So, all this stuff. See, I, I run into this all the time where people try to go back into the Jewish law and they try to fulfill the Jewish feast and all that kind of stuff. And I'm telling you, no man's going to judge me according to my holy days or what days I watch or what, what days I serve Jesus in or not. Right? Every day is holy unto me. I treat every day the same. Uh, if I can be in church tomorrow, I'm going to be driving. You're going to be in church, I'll be driving. 
I'm not going to be sinning because I'm going more than a day's drive. Right? Or in Jewish custom, more than a day's walk. Okay? I will violate the Sabbath. Of course, tomorrow's not the Sabbath. Today is. So you've already violated it, so <laughs> forget it. All right? Because you've done all this stuff, right? But I'm trying to get across to you that Christianity has its own culture in the sense that if there is a culture, it's holiness. Right? It's not the way you dress. It's not even the terminology and all that kind of stuff. You've got to get a hold of This is the heart of the New Covenant. If I took an Old and New Testament Bible, flew over a island somewhere where people were at that had never seen any Christianity. But let's say I could get the, the Bible in their language and I dropped that Old and New Testament on that island and came back in five years. I would come back and find probably two groups of people that would be totally divided and totally confused as to what God required and wanted. Because you'd have half of them trying to live under the Old Covenant and half of them trying to live under the New. And the two don't fit together. That's why there's an Old and a New. If there, since there is a new, that means the old doesn't apply. You get that? The problem is you're trying to, to live a new covenant life under old covenant rules. It doesn't work. Alright? You'll always be confused. On the other hand, if I took a New Testament, flew over that same island, dropped it off, come back in five years, we would have a New Testament church, but yet they wouldn't look American. Because American culture is not the culture of the Bible. Alright? We try to go over sometimes and send out missionaries and people that go over and try to make good Americans out of the locals. Nothing in the Bible tells you to make good Americans. It says make disciples. Right? Disciples of Jesus. Doesn't tell you how to eat, how to dress, all that kind of stuff. Now, the dress should be modest, but it doesn't mean wearing suit and tie. Okay? I think the devil come up with ties anyway. They choke you. I mean, come on. How many times... Look at people in caskets. They always got a suit and tie on. Isn't that Right? It's like the devil's trying to kill you before you're dead. Spend all that time. They've even proven now if you wear a tie that it actually helps cause glaucoma. Do you know that? Because it restricts the, the blood. So there you go. See? I think it was invented by the devil to help kill preachers. Okay? So, I, I told them this over in Italy when I was there and they're very formal. I had an interpreter and he had the suit and the tie and the whole bit on and I'd say it and he would repeat it and finally he, when I talked about it I said... Lord God, I said, I'm free. I dress the way I dress because I want to dress that way. I don't have anybody telling me how to dress. And if they did, I probably wouldn't be there. And so when I told them this, I said, I refuse to wear a tie. Now, if it was appropriate and if it was going to offend somebody that wasn't a Christian, I would wear it. Right? But just for the sake of pacifying somebody's religious views, I won't do it. Now, I'm not going to offend them to the point where I offend them. You understand? But I'm saying I'm not going to just bow to religious custom. You know, to these traditions that serve no purpose. And so when I told him that, all of a sudden he's like, he started pulling that tie off. He pulled his tie and started yelling, Libertad, Libertad, Libertad. So people got real excited and real happy there. So. But we live in freedom, in liberty, right? Not under rules and regulations, but in freedom. But that doesn't mean take your freedom and sin, right? Now, living under the Old Covenant. If you live under the Old Covenant... You're always going to be waiting for God to do something. An old covenant mindset always says, I don't have enough. I'm not good enough. I, I need more. And yet that's what we see most of the time in the church. we got songs. There are songs usually sung in the church that I cannot and will not sing because I've trained myself not to sing lies or unbelief. And most of the songs in the church today are that very thing. And mo- when I was up at, uh, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> when I was in uh, Chalice, Idaho, 
and I was under speaking up in the mountains like I talked about before. They had this, uh, you know, the thing behind me that said, without your presence we won't go. And they had this big re- thing, re-replica, that's it. I was going to say reproduction, but a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. And the thing was huge and had all this real pretty stuff. I don't, I don't think it was real gold, but it looked real. But it had this whole big old box up there. And I told, my, I told everybody, I didn't tell the speaker, the um, host, but I was telling the people that were with me, I said, I am not preaching behind that box. I said, that's an old covenant. You know, that's an old covenant ark. And I said, bless God, I'm the new covenant ark. The Spirit of God dwells in me. It doesn't dwell in that box anymore. And I'm not going to stand behind it to preach. And I said, they're going to move that thing before I get up there. I didn't tell a person. But I told them, I said, I'm not preaching behind it. And you know, before I get up there to preach, all of a sudden, everybody else had preached behind it. All of a sudden, the host said, you know what? I think we need to move this over. And they picked it up and moved it over by the door. Got it completely out of the way. And when I got up there, I said, well, you moved it almost far enough. Because that's a representation of the old covenant. We're the new covenant ark. Okay? Second, I think they moved it because if I'd have got behind it, you wouldn't have seen me. I think it was, uh, <clears throat> that, that was probably his motivation in moving it anyway. But, but you have to make a complete break. See, you look at the Catholic Church, it is a reproduction of Judaism. That's what it is. Rules, rituals, cathedrals. You know, all the, the whole bit. You look at them, it's, the Pope is like the high priest. I mean, it's, it's a reproduction. And yet, we're nowhere told to do that. Alright? Now, I want you to understand, we are free in Christ. Every person is a minister. Every person has the Spirit of Christ. Now, we work together as a team. We understand that there are uh, rankings and authorities and things like that. We understand that. But, we're all soldiers. Right? A general is a soldier, just like a private's a soldier. Just different responsibilities. That's all it is. But a general has to be able to pick up a rifle and shoot it just as well as a private. Right? In the Marine Corps, one of the sayings, every Marine is a rifleman. Doesn't matter what the rank is. Why? Because you've got to be able to do the job of a soldier. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. Every Christian. See, everybody's like, well, I'm into prophetic dance. Wonderful. But can you heal the sick? Well, no, I'm into prophetic. Then you're not a soldier. Be a Christian. Do the things that Jesus said before you start adding the things that Jesus didn't say. Right? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and preach the gospel. Get those down first before you get into all these other little flared little things. Right? You know why you want to do those? Because you can do those without the Spirit of God. Everything, all these things, everything except what Jesus said to do, you can do without the Spirit of God. You realize that? You can do prophetic dance without the Spirit of God. You can do all the banners without the Spirit of God. You can do it all without the Spirit of God. And that's what we do in the church. We build up these huge sandcastles and, and we keep getting further and further away until, and, and we keep reinforcing it until we get way out in left field somewhere and what we're doing has nothing to do with New Testament Christianity, setting people free or anything else, and yet we have this entire system built up around it, and we understand what all this stuff means. Because, you know, we're in the know. Because we, we had it explained to us. But the person walking off the street and they see it, and I think, what in the world is this? You know, best thing they can think is, well, here's my money, i got a good show for it. Because usually that's what it comes down to. So we have to get back to the basics, and it, it's... This stuff, you know, it's sad that we have to go back to the basics like this instead of having stayed with the basics. They did not, Jesus never taught on healing. You get that? He never taught on healing. He just healed. You know why he healed? To back up what he did teach. See, we use the word to verify healing. Jesus used healing to verify the word. We shouldn't even be having a healing seminar. 
This should be just part of who we are. This things, these things should be so integrated into us that we shouldn't even have to think about it or talk about it. But that shows how far the church has come from where it started. Because all of the early disciples healed the sick. Ananias wasn't anybody famous. And I'm not talking about the one that dropped dead. I'm talking about the one that went and laid hands on Paul. And gave him his eyesight back. Now, there is possibly a record that he might have been one of the 70. And he ended up being, becoming the bishop of Ephesus at one time. What we were, Well, not bishop. See, when I say bishop, you think Catholicism. That wasn't the bishop the way they looked at it. It was an overseer. Somebody that oversaw the work. Right? We've got to get away from putting people on pedestals. Everybody's got to be able to work. Right? And produce by the Spirit of God. Now, back into this. Now, in uh, next... Let's see where we're going here. Going over to... Because a lot of this, I'm not going to read the whole book to you. If I was going to do that, I could just send you the book. Right? The idea is for you to take the book and read through it, and it'll back up what I'm saying and give you the scriptures. But, on page 8, it says, at the top of the page, The Old Testament did not reflect God's character, but it did reflect the justice and holiness of God. But it did not reflect His character. Okay? Have you ever had to spank your child? You didn't want to, but you had to, right? Because you knew it would be better for them that you did. That's the Old Testament. That's what the Old Testament did. The Old Testament was, the, the Word even tells us, the law was sent to show us how we could not keep it and how we needed Christ. That's what it was sent to do. Now, do you need to know, think about this, do you need to know that without Christ you cannot live holy? Anybody think you can Okay, so you know that without Christ, you're nothing, right? Without Christ, you can do nothing. Without Christ, it doesn't work, right? Without Christ, your life is a mess. Right, alright. So if everybody here knows that, then we don't need the law. Because the law showed us that, and now we're with Christ, right? That's like people saying, well, you know, I, I tell you, without Jesus, I could do nothing. Yeah, but are you without Him? Well, no, He's with me, but bless God, without Him, I could do nothing. Do you realize that makes no sense? That'd be like me saying, I tell you what, without my Tahoe, I couldn't have got here. But without it, I couldn't have, thank God I got a Tahoe, because if I didn't have the Tahoe, if I didn't have a vehicle, I couldn't have got here. And if I kept saying that over and over again, well, I tell you, if I didn't have a Tahoe, I couldn't be here. You'd say, does, does he have a car? Does he need a car? Why does he keep telling us that? Do you have a car? Yeah, I got a car. But then why do you keep telling us without the car, you couldn't do anything? You have the car. You see, we keep drawing attention back to something that does not even matter. Right? Everybody knows that without Jesus, you can't do anything. But you're not without Him. See, what, see, Old Testament is, without Him, I can't do anything. New Testament is, with Him, I can do all things through Christ. See the difference? The, the, the Old Testament is, you're always emphasizing what you can't do, what you don't have, and what you do need. In the New Covenant, it's always emphasizing what He has given you, and what you can do with it, and how, how you can help other people. Are you getting a hold of that? That's the difference. That's what makes religious people so mad whenever people get a hold of this message because it's the message of the Bible. It is freedom. It sh- it's, not, it's not a matter of you thinking you're somebody. If you think you're somebody, you've already, you, have totally, you have not caught this message. Because this message proves if everybody can heal the sick, then anybody that heals the sick isn't anybody. Isn't it right? If everybody can do it, big deal. It's only, see, but the old message is he can do it, so he must be something. See how that puffs up? See how it gives the opportunity to lift up, and, and not lift up, but puff up and, and make people think you're something? 
But this message says, no, you ought to be doing it. Matter of fact, you're wrong if you're not doing it. See, our problem is we look at men like John Lake, Smith Wigglesworth and go, wow, giants of the faith. No, they were normal Christians. It's just that the church has been so subnormal that they look like giants to us. And they are just people who did what they're supposed to be doing. And when we're all doing what we're supposed to be doing, we won't have giants anymore. We won't have people we look up to and go, ooh, ah, wow, put them on a pedestal. Why? Because those, those guys themselves would tell you right away, we're nothing. Isn't that right? God, God did not look through eternity and say, okay, I've got to find somebody with the last name Wigglesworth, because that name just means miracles. <laughs> he didn't do that. He didn't do that with Lake either. The only name that means miracles is the name of Jesus. Amen. Right? And he can put that name on anybody that will receive him. Amen? Amen? That's the beauty of it. Do you realize that if you can get some special people out there that are highly anointed and, and highly gifted, then you make targets out of them by lifting them up and the devil shoots them down and whenever they fall, everybody says, see, I knew that wasn't real. See, I knew he wasn't for real. Yeah, he was till you put him up on a pedestal and made a target out of him. And the devil put a bullseye on him and he had all this pressure and stuff on him. But as long as, see, that, why do you think I don't want to be on a pedestal? I don't want to be a target. I figure if I, if I can get all your heads to rise up with mine, guess what? We're all targets, right? I'll just kind of blend with the group. You know, I'd much rather have the enemy have to shoot at a hundred of us as to having to shoot at just one of us, right? Especially when I happen to be the one, right? I want him to, take, I want him to have many, many targets of opportunity, okay? So, God had to deal with man based upon how a just and holy God had to deal with fallen man whose sins were not dealt with. Man was allowed a connection with God by having his sins atoned, covered, But God could not deal with sinful man the way he wanted to. Because man's sins separated him from God. But in the New Covenant, the New Testament, God was able through Jesus to treat man like he wanted to. And all Jesus did was show us how a person, right with God, filled with the Spirit of God, should walk. Now, here's your problem. When you read the New Testament, especially the Gospels, I've said this earlier, you will. There's always usually three people involved. There is Jesus, there's a disciple, and usually there is somebody needing something. Healing, deliverance, something. You will, when you read it, by human nature, you will put yourself in one of those places. You will see yourself in one of those places. Just like when you watch a movie, if it's an action hero type movie, if you're a man especially, you're the hero. You put yourself in that place. You don't put yourself, generally, in the place of the person being rescued. Now, the, the woman, if you're a female, you may put yourself in the place of being rescued. Okay? But the man usually almost always puts himself in the place of the hero. Now, why do we do that in action movies? When we read the Bible, men put themselves in the place of the person begging for help. Why? It's because the church has dumbed us down. It has made us passive. It's made us feminine. It has brought, taken out masculinity and it has put feminism or femininity into the church. Probably feminism too in some places. And they have brought it into the church and it, all of a sudden now we're looking, we always place ourselves at the very best. I mean, if you're a highly evolved Christian, if I can use that term, you may put yourself in the place of the, of the disciple. But very seldom does anybody ever put themselves in the place of Jesus. But that's the only person now that you relate to. Do you understand that? You are a new creation, a new creature, filled with the Spirit of God, born again from heaven. The only person in the Gospels that come close to what you are is Jesus. 
It's a, you're not the Syrophoenician woman, right? You're not a person without a covenant with God. That's who she was. She didn't have a covenant. You're not Mary, Jesus' mother. You're not Mary Magdalene, even though your past life may resemble it. You're none of that. You are Jesus. Do you understand that? When you look, that's who you put. Because He is your example, nobody else. The disciples aren't your... Do you really want Peter as your example? Do you really want to deny Christ three times? That's what He did. So you have to put yourself in the position of the person you're most like. The only person filled with the Spirit, walking right with God, was Jesus. Put yourself in His place. Quit putting yourself in the other. When it says, such as in Matthew, when it says that unless you forgive, then your Heavenly Father won't forgive you, that's true. But that ain't you. Right? Because if that's you, you're not Christian. You're not born again. If you're born again, you're in Christ and you have forgiven. Right? First off, all that stuff, the past, the things that people have done. Well, see, when you come up to me and you tell me, you know what? In my past, I've had people hurt me. Well, join the club. <laughs> Who hasn't? You know, I know you don't think I'm shocked at hearing that. Right? But you know what? When you say that, you know what I'm hearing? Excuse me, can I tell you I'm not dead yet? That's what I hear. Because what are you doing? You're, you're telling me you're not dead. If you're telling me people are hurting you, all you're telling me is you're not dead. Because you know why? A dead person never complains. A dead person never says, they hurt me. So every time you say, I'm hurt, what you're saying is, I'm not dead yet. Okay, you know what I'm going to tell you? I'm not going to say, oh, you poor thing. <laughs> See, you know, that's why God didn't call me to be a pastor. Right? I, that's not me. Right? I, don't, I have terrible bedside manner. You don't want me to come to you when you're sick in bed, and, and, unless you're, especially if you're expecting a pastor. Because that's not me. Because I'm not going to come in and go, Oh, here's some chicken soup. I hope you get to feel better. It'll be okay. And pat your hand. That's not me. I'll walk in. I'll pray. I'll say, Be healed in Jesus' name. Now, give me a hand. Get out of bed. Let's go. Get up. Move. Do something. Show me what you, do what you couldn't do before. But I don't, feel, I don't care. Not, it has nothing to do with how you feel. So it's like, you know who the hardest people to get healed are? Faith people. Hardest people in the world. You know why? You never get a straight answer from them. You ask them. They'll come up in the line. I'll say, what can I do for you? Well, I believe I'm healed by stripes of Jesus. Liar. You're lying. No, no you don't. Oh, yes, I believe I'm healed. Then what are you doing in my line? I call for people that are sick. Well, because I... Oh, wait a minute. I thought you said you believe you were healed. Well, which is it? Do you believe you're healed or do you believe you're sick? Well, I believe I'm standing... Among, no, that's, see, that's, that's Christianese. That's talk for saying, um, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I'm still hurting. That's the way that works. And a lot of times I tell people, I didn't ask you. Because see, I'll ask them. Okay, when I pray for them, I'll say, how's that? Is that same, better, or worse? Why? Because if I just say, all right, are you healed? What's going on? I believe I'm healed by stripes of Jesus. Or if you're real spiritual, you'll quote Wigglesworth. Well, I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm only moved by the Word of God. And I believe by the Word of God I'm healed. And I look at them and say, then what are you doing up here? Because if you're up here, obviously you don't believe that. And that's simple. So when I pray for you, what do you believe? Well, you know, I'm not asking you what you believe, right? I don't care what you believe. What you because what you believe hadn't helped you so far, or you wouldn't be in my line. Is that straight enough for you? Is it straight? Okay. I'm just telling you. When you get up here, if I ask you a question, just answer me. If I say, "How's that feel?" Then I don't want to know what you believe. I didn't say what do you believe. I said, "How do you feel?" Well, nothing's changed. All right, let's do it again. Pray again. Well, how's that? Um, I believe I'm. No, I know. I didn't say what you believe. How do you feel? See, and that throws faith people off because they're not used to telling how they feel. They want to tell what they believe, right? I know what you believe. You're a Christian. You believe the Word. You say you do. So I don't need that. I don't need you to quote Scripture to me. I know Scripture. 
What I need to know is, okay, we've done this, now what's changed? Is it same? That's why I have to tell faith people, is it the same, better, or worse? Because if I just say, how do you feel, you'll tell me something else. You, you'll speak by faith. Oh, I feel fine. Well, I see now you not go into line. Instead, I'll say, okay, are you the same, better, or worse? Uh, better. Okay, does that mean better than when you come in, or better than after I prayed, or what, what degree? And we'll just keep getting it till we get it gone. But see, it's, I'm, I'm tired of hearing people say that they've been standing for 10 years, 15 years, and this kind of thing. Now, now understand this. When you pray for people, and this will happen when you pray, when you're doing the praying. How much you pray, there are levels, and your faith can grow. And the more you see results, the more your faith will be in that area. So if you really want faith in a certain area, get with somebody who's having success in that area, and just spend time with them. And watch them do it, and your faith will grow in that area, because you'll see them operate. So that's the easiest, that's the number one way. The problem is, there are so few people that are having any success, it is hard to find somebody to hook up with. That's the problem. Now... Since you don't always have that, then you have to start where you're at. Which means, how do I know how much faith I have? Okay? Go pray for somebody. You went and prayed for them, let's say it was cancer. Now, was there any change? Well, I didn't really see any. Alright, keep going back until you see a change. When they're healed, count how many times you went. You say, okay, I had to go pray for that person ten times before they got well. Okay, you are operating at a level of ten percent. Because ten times 10% is 100%. Isn't it right? Now, let's say another person, let's say with cancer, you pray 10 times for somebody with, um, I don't know, tuberculosis or something like that. Well, I only had to pray four times for that. Okay, so that means you're operating at 25% for tuberculosis, but 10% for cancer. Now, there is a synergism that works with it that the more results you see in one area, you'll start to see more results in the other area. Your faith in one area, as you get success there, will also bleed over into the other areas and you'll have more faith there for those areas too. So the idea, but now, the problem in the church has been, you go pray for somebody, you don't see any change. So you walk off and say, well, I guess nothing happened. I guess I didn't have any faith or didn't have enough or whatever. Now, you go try. And they'll send somebody else to pray, and you feel like you're starting all over again. You know one of the reasons why we have the success rate in healing that we have? is because most people that come to me have already been prayed for by ten other people. Well, I believe that when a Christian lays hands on a sick, life goes into them. Now, it may not be enough to get it done, but it's still there. And every time you lay hands, you're putting more life in. And if you keep putting enough life in long enough, you will drive out sickness and death and disease. So, most of the time, by the time a person gets to me, they are this close to being healed. They've got piled up from other people's faith and other people laying hands. And by the time they get to me, I just add that little bit that puts them over the top, and I look like I'm doing a really great job. So that's really pretty good. It works pretty good, right? So, but there are times when we've gone back. There's been, there have been people we prayed for three times, four times, ten times. There was one boy we prayed for for two years. Every time I saw him, I'd go back up to that church about three times a year or so. And every time we saw him, we prayed for him. And it took two years before we really started seeing any major change. But once we got that, what, what you would call a breakthrough, all of a sudden, it started going real quick. You know what a breakthrough is? Generally, you keep pushing, and you keep adding. And I have figured out that whenever you get a person about 70% healed on the inside, or I'll say it this way, you have to get a person about 70% healed on the inside before you see any change on the outside. And so you keep putting life in, 
And when you get them about 70% healed, you'll start seeing changes on the outside. Now, you can get 70% in one, one shot. Or you can take three shots. And then by, if it takes three shots and you're at 75%, then you're working at 25% each time. Right? So the next time should be the fullness of the manifestation. But you keep adding to. See, you think you start over ever again. I realize we never start over. We just keep adding to. See, it doesn't, there's nothing in the Bible that says yay or nay. It just says add to. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith these things. Isn't that right? Now, it's according to your proportion of faith. In Romans chapter 12, it says if a man prophesy, let him prophesy according to the proportion of his faith. Now, we've all been given the measure of faith or, yeah, actually that's right, the measure of faith, right? There's one measure and you've been given it. But that, that measure, it's just like saying we've all been given, you realize everybody in this room has the same number of muscles. Isn't that right? Everybody in this room has the same number of muscles. But everybody is at different levels of development of those muscles. Right? If you exercise, you work out, you have resistance, your muscles will grow larger. So, even though Arnold Schwarzenegger has the exact same number of muscles as Barney Fife, Don Knotts. Same number. Difference is, different development. Right? Now, that's the same way. You have the same faith... The same measure Jesus did, the same measure Paul did, the same measure John Lake did. Difference is exercise and development. That's it. How do you develop it? You give it away. The more you give it away, the stronger you get. And the more resistance you get as you give it away, the stronger you get even more. So don't resist. Don't, don't run from resistance. Run to it. Be like David. Don't run from the giant. Run to him. Right? A whole lot harder to hit a moving target. Right? Just run right into them. It's the same thing. You run into it. Now, so you give little by little. Remember I told you about the, the boy we prayed for for two years? Two years. No change. Then all of a sudden, we saw the change. Why? Because we got him seven, 70% healed on the inside. And you know what changes we started seeing? They've proven it now. They are checking him out. Because he is a medical book test case. And they are checking him out. And they have found out that he is being changed at the DNA level. His DNA has changed. When we first met him, he was, as what they would classify, let's uh, remember the word for it, it's actual word for it, what we would call full-blown, you know, complete, absolute Down syndrome. Now, the nose is formed, the head is receded, the, everything has changed. When I first met him, you know what he told me? He said, tell Brother Curry what you want to be when you grow up. Now, he was 21 when I met him, but he had the mind of an 8-year-old. And they said, tell Brother Curry what you want to be when you grow up. He goes, I want to be Walker, Texas Ranger. That was his goal in life, was to be like Walker, Texas Ranger, Chuck Norris. And I said, all right, well, God bless, let's pray. And we prayed for him and kept doing it. And then the last time I went up there, you know what he told me? They came and said, tell Brother Curry what you told us what you want to be when you grow up. He goes, I want to be a preacher like you, Brother Curry. I'm like, glory to God, we had a breakthrough. (laughs) And so, but... Now, you know what he does? He works, he does the um, newsletter, writes it, types it up for him, puts it together for a healing room. Now, think about that. That's where he came from. It took two years. Most people, you try once, didn't get it, oh well. You know, I don't have the faith, something, you know, something ain't working, whatever. Okay, no, you keep going back. You don't give up. You never, there was a movie out years ago, and I hesitate sometimes giving you movie analogies because... You know, it messes people up sometimes. I'm not, I'm not telling you to watch a movie. I just remember clips out of movies I have seen in the past. One movie was called Uncommon Valor. Anybody see that movie? Don't raise your hand. Everybody know your sin. No. Okay. Well, that movie was about 
some guys that had uh, been left in Vietnam as POWs. And several people were in it. Gene Hackman, uh, what's his name? Patrick Swayze. Uh, there was a guy in there named Tex Cobb. You know who that is? He used to be a boxer and wrestler type guy. He's a big old boy. And um, he, he, was, he was huge, right? And in this movie, they're training to go over. Well, Tex Cobb had been a Vietnam vet and he'd come back and he was going to go back and help get these boys out. Patrick Swayze had never been in the, in, in the combat. He was in the military, but not in combat. And so they're trying to get them ready to go over. And they are training them. And part of the training is they give Tex Cobb, big old burly looking biker type guy, just, you know, uh, boxer, the whole, just rough, right? And then they, they gave him an axe. And then they gave Patrick Swayze an axe. And so there's like two opposite types of people. And they said, now, the goal is to chop down that tree and see who wins. And so, boy, they start chopping on that tree. Bam, bam. But Tex Cobb, obviously, a lot larger, a lot more muscle. Bam, he, he gets that tree, and it falls over. Well, when his tree falls, Patrick Swayze sees it falls, and he just stops because he's beat, right? The other guy won. And Tex Cobb runs over there, pushes him out of the way with his axe. Bam, bam. He starts working on Patrick Swayze's tree until it falls over. Then he turns around, shoves the axe into, you know, the handling thing into Patrick Swayze and looks at him and says, you never give up, you never stop, you never back off, you never give up. See, the idea isn't to see, to run a race. The idea is to build that grid into you where you never quit. Because if you get that, you can never get beat. Right? If you get that, I guarantee you, once you learn to enjoy the fight, the enemy will hate to fight you. Until then, he loves it. So the only thing to do is to learn to fight. Amen? Get it to a point where he hates to fight you. Now, I've got to get back into this real quick here. <clears throat> now, let's go to, yeah, Hebrews 8, 6, middle of the page, page 8. But now hath he obtained, talking about Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Why do you keep trying to live under the old covenant whenever you have a better covenant with better promises? You see, you keep saying, why are we going back to this old covenant thing? I thought we're, this is about healing. It is. Old covenant healing was different than new covenant healing. The old covenant Jews that were there in Jesus' ministry were old covenant people. Quit. Now, now get this. I know that whenever in your Bible it says the New Testament... And it starts at Matthew. Right? But you have to realize that the people that Jesus dealt with in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not Christian. They're not you. Quit putting yourself into the place of people who were Jews, for for the most part, under an old covenant. Right? Well, your heavenly Father won't forgive you either if you don't forgive. Well, okay, that is a truth, but he was referring to the people of Israel, who had a covenant with God that was based on certain promises. Right? God said, you walk this way, I'll bless you. You get out of this, you're cursed. Isn't that right? Deuteronomy 28, real clear. Got in between two mountains. Here's a mountain of blessing, here's a mountain of cursing. Behold, I set before you life and death. You choose. Right? Now, think about this. You know why that doesn't... See, you keep trying to put curses back on yourself. Well, I'm out from under the protection, so therefore, I'm under a curse. Well, what about the part of the Bible in the New Testament that says that Jesus became a curse for you? Now, if he became, now see, here's what you have to understand. The Old Covenant was made 
technically between Abraham and God, right? Abraham was the human representation. And technically at that point, it was made between Jesus and God and Father, right? And Abraham was there representing. Now, because Abraham represented Jesus because Jesus was going to come through the lineage of Abraham. So he represented. Now, you have to think kind of cosmically (laughs) to get that. But what happened was, eventually, when Jesus shows up, now a new covenant, and it even says there, in that day, I will make a new covenant with them, right? And the new covenant now is made between Jesus and the Father, right? Now, you did, now here's the point. You get into the new covenant by getting into Jesus, right? You don't make a covenant with God. Jesus made a covenant with God, Right? He made the covenant, he fulfilled the covenant, he died without breaking the covenant, which means there was no curse in that covenant because nobody broke it. Now, he died and rose again. Is there any possibility of breaking the new covenant? No, right? Because you can't break what you don't make, right? You can't break a a covenant I make with somebody else. You can't break a contract I make with somebody else. I've got to break it, right? Jesus made it. And then he died. And so once he died, now there is no possibility of breaking it. Because once you die, that's the end of it. Right? That's when it's set. That's whenever, matter of fact, that's whenever a New Testament, a new will, comes into being is when the person dies. Right? So when he died, the new covenant was put into place. The good part is he arose from the dead and came back to enforce the, the rules of that new covenant. So here you've got a covenant between Jesus and the Father that was perfectly made, perfectly fulfilled. There is no possibility of curse in it because a curse comes on violating the covenant. The covenant wasn't violated. Now it can't be violated. So there is no curse in the new covenant. You get that? Now you're in Him. So you get the benefits of the new covenant. And even if you mess up, There is a provision in the New Covenant that you can go to God, get forgiveness, and be reinstated perfectly into the New Covenant. But even then, there is no mention of a curse. Isn't that right? No mention of a curse. Why do you keep trying to bring curses into the New Covenant? Keep them out. They were under the Old Covenant. That's why it wasn't as good as the New One. The New One is a better covenant, better promises. No curse. So when you say, well, yeah, but you know, now I've, got, I've done this and I've gotten outside of the protection of God. Who said? Jesus said, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Well, I'm outside the covenant. Well, how long have you been out there? Well, three years. Well, then guess what? You're outside the covenant. Don't call yourself a Christian. Right? If you say, yourself, if you say you're a Christian, you're inside the covenant. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Quit trying to put the curses on you when the curses were left outside of the covenant. You're either a Christian or you're not. Now, I guess we should go into a definition of what a Christian is, because what most people think Christian is, is not the Bible definition. The Bible definition is to begin and assume and start walking like Christ, to the end result that you will eventually walk like Him perfectly in every way. And you should be somewhere along that way. To be in Christ does not mean to live the same way you used to live, and just every now and then go, oh yeah, forgive me, I'm sorry. Because you're lying, you're not really sorry, because if you're really sorry, you quit. Right? You quit. It's talked about a a repentance that does not need to be repented of. In other words, you've changed your mind to a point where you don't have to keep changing your mind. You've changed your mind once and for all. You've walked away from your sin. Sin is not a lifestyle for you. At at the very least, it's a or at the very most, I should say, it is a an event, right? 
Something may happen, but you get placed back into it. Quit trying to put these curses back on you. You're in a new covenant with a better covenant with better promises. Amen? You getting a hold of this? I know he's kind of... I can tell you, look at me kind of... I don't know, like a new calf... Like a gate, a calf at a new gate there. Kind of, I don't know if I'm going to walk through that or not. Okay, anyway. He goes on. Point C. We settle God's word on earth by believing it, standing on it, and doing it. A will reveals the nature and intentions of the person who wrote it. You want to know what the, the will of God is? Read the Bible. That's the will of God. If it wasn't, now think about this. We always use the statement, you know, well, God has exalted His Word even above His name. Well, i got news for you. Every human does that. Every human does that. We say it all the time. I'll tell you what, that old boy's Word ain't worth a dime. Why? Well, who is that? Well, that's so-and-so. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Why? So that person is known by, about being a liar. Isn't that right? So his word is above his name. His word will cause his name to have a good meaning or a bad meaning. Everybody is like that. See, we, we make it sound real spiritual. But the, the beauty of it is that God's word upholds his name. See, God's word... Do you realize God's name? He's given us 16 different names called Jehovahistic names that tells us how he wants to be seen and related to by us. Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sidkenu, all these things... All of these are names that he says, this is what I will be to you. And one of those is Jehovah Rapha. Now, if he is not, if he doesn't heal, he's not Jehovah Rapha. If he's not your healer, you can't say, I'm the Lord that healeth thee. Right? So you have to realize that that's who he is. Now, that is his name. That is his nature. And his word backs up his nature. If your word doesn't match your character or your nature, you're a liar. Isn't it Right? Your word must agree with your nature. You must say what, what you, people have to know. People know who you are by what you say. And they either know you to be truthful or a liar. So you have to decide what you're going to do. Now, God has been truthful and he has said, this is who I am. I am Jehovah Rapha. Now, if he didn't give you any other explanations of how to get healed, he is still your healer. Right? So God's nature reveals his word. But if you look at his word, it will also reveal his nature. Right? So you look at the, at the nature of God. Now, if you look at the old covenant nature of God, you're going to say, well, he does this and he does that. Okay, first off, why would you concern yourself with that? That's how he treats people then under that covenant. That's not how he treats you. You're not those people. You're not under that covenant. You understand that? See, this is the essence of what Dr. Lake understood that helped him see 100,000 healings in five years. That's 20,000 a year that he was seeing on a regular basis, him and 16 other people. Now, we have trained over 20,000 people around the country and even around the rest of the world now. We get reports on the average between 15 to 1,800 reports every month. The average DHT right now around the country gets between 25 and 30 healings every month. All right? Now, just on a real, I mean, I'm talking about a, a, a small percentage of statistics. That means that right now, John Jake Ministries is still getting on a regular basis, over 30,000 healings a month. Not 20,000 a year, 30,000 a month by DHTs out doing it. And that goes all the way from AIDS to, we, we've seen uh, well over 300 cases of AIDS healed. My son saw one healed over in uh, Thailand not too long ago. We've seen, you name it, there is not a disease that I know of that we have faced that we have not beaten. Right? But it's because the Word of God is true. We apply the same principles regardless. Amen. And the principles are this. We win. That's, right. That's it. 
And anything, you say, how do you know when to give up? Whenever you win. How do you know when it's over? When you win. Whenever you, see, faith sets the destiny, or the destination, and doesn't stop till it gets there, no matter what gets in the way. And until you get there, you're not done. And how do you know when you're done? When you get there. But you have set the destination. Now, our destination is the Word of God. So this is what we should be setting as, like I said before, as our goals. And anything that stands between us and the fulfillment of these goals, the Word of God, the will of God, the plan of God, the, the, the mission of God, anything that gets in between is a devil. Beat it, drive it out, cast it out, walk through it, whatever it is. Kick in the gates, you know, bring the prisoners out, whatever you've got to do. You see, are, are you seeing how this is kind of funneling to a real simple point? That this thing is really just never give up. Isn't that it? And go after it and blast. Now, but you say, well, you could have told us that. And, you know, I, I've, I've done things. What makes a difference? I can tell you right now, when you get done, you will be able to go out and pray for people. You will pray a little bit different. But it's not in the difference of the praying that gets the results. Remember what I told you in the beginning? It's not what you say that counts. It's who says it. Isn't that right? And now you're going to go out and you may even pray the, the exact same way or do things similar. But now they're going to work for you. Why? Because now these sacred cows, these traditions, are out of the way. We have killed them, and now it's just the Word of God working. All, that, all the reasons you had in your mind why they might not get healed, why God may want them sick, or maybe this ain't God's time, or maybe they don't have enough faith, all of that's going to be gone. It's just a matter of latching hold of something and hanging on until you get what you go for. That's all it comes down to. Right? So even though you may pray similar, it's going to be different. Now, I had somebody ask me, how does this teaching fit in with other methods of healing? And what do I think about other methods of healing? This, this doesn't. It does not fit in with other methods of healing. But then that just was just one more point that proved to me that this message is the Word of God. Because the Word of God never allows you to mix it with other things. It allows absolute obedience and absolute forsaking of other things and walking with it. And if I came in here and said, now you can add this in and you can blend this in and you can do this kind of stuff. Let me tell you. I've seen the results of it. We've got the results. We've proven the results. And you're going to have to decide which way you want. Now, there's all kinds of stuff out there. There is everything. There is, just like the deal said, there is New Age. There's Qigong. There's, you know, uh, Qi Meridian pressure stuff. There's uh, Shiatsu. There's all kinds of things. You know, and you are welcome to practice any of them. Just don't call them Christian. Because Jesus didn't do it. And for it to be Christian, Jesus had to do it. You understand that? Well, yeah, but people get help. Well, guess what? I can take you to Haiti. And we can get some people to do some voodoo over you. And people will get help. But that don't mean it's God. Right? Just because it helps doesn't mean it's God. And that's one of the things I see. People blending in this stuff. And you see, you like Old Testament? Okay, let's go back to the Old Testament. It was called strange fire. You want to bring in things that have nothing to do with it. And you bring that stuff in. And it caused people to die. And I've seen people get prayed for. And appear to be helped. And then a few months later, they die from something totally separate, but was related because of what they went to. I've seen, even like with yoga, when I was talking about that today, if you get a hold of the, of the yoga instructor manuals, I'm talking about the real ones, I'm not talking about your goofy little, you know, 15-minute stuff, right? I'm talking about yoga manuals. <clears throat> there are chakras, that the whole purpose of yoga is to open these chakras, which are spiritual centers, which, which is supposed to give you clarity in the spiritual realm. And the whole idea behind this thing, and even the manuals themselves will tell you, you can open up six of them, you'll have good health, but with really no you know, external harm. You open up the seventh, things start to happen, 
and we don't want to really be involved in that too much. You know, that's what they kind of say. But, it, but the whole idea is you want to open up all eight of them, and whenever you open up the eighth, they will tell you, we warn you, if you open up the eighth chakra, it is a good chance that you will lose your mind. That's what they tell you. Because they know that it is illegal to enter the spiritual realm by any other way than the name of Jesus. And yet people do it all the time and they play with this stuff because they, they want something. You know why the people, why Christians play with this kind of stuff? Because they're not busy doing the work. They've got too much time on their hands. And that's why you sit around and study a lot of this garbage that doesn't do any good but makes you think you know a whole lot. I'll tell you right now, I don't know that much. There's a world in the Bible I don't know. I just know a few things that work real well. Right? But you, you get with any good fighter. Most good fighters, champion fighters, don't have a large repertoire of techniques. They have usually three or four techniques that they use to win every fight. And the reason they're so good is because they can always maneuver themselves into a position to use one of those three or four things. And they know, you know why they're so good at it? Because they know it will work, they have absolute faith in it, and they use it. Our problem is, we want to be a jack of all trades and master of none. You know, we want to dabble in this and dabble in that and play with this over here and let's check this out. And you're starting to mix all these things together and you try to put it all together and you end up with this, basically a, a hodgepodge and it's almost like the Baha'i faith which everybody's right and nobody's wrong and, you know, it's all wonderful. And it's, you know, Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus was so close-minded. He said, I am the way. No man gets to the Father but by me. Isn't that it? And yet, here people get mad at me when I say there is one way that works, and that's the Bible way. Well, yeah, but now, see, we, we, the other question was, uh, can we visualize Jesus? Is it ever safe to visualize Jesus? No. It is never safe to visualize Jesus because nobody knows what he looks like. And if we had a good picture of him, it'd be okay, I guess, to sit around and think about it and focus on it or whatever else. But since nobody knows, then whatever you visualize, you're either making up or you are being inspired by a demon to put a face on it. And I guarantee when you do that enough, a demon looking like that will show up. And he'll begin to guide you and direct you and tell you what to do. And you're going to think it's Jesus. And it'll work good for a while, but eventually he'll drive you off into some corner. That's one another. There's another healing ministry that's getting pretty well known. That's what they do now. The person that's in charge of it has an angel that he claims is the angel of John G. Lake. And that this angel goes around with him and tells him what to do. And, and some of his top people have left because he said, they said that the directions that this person was looking to this angel all the time for direction. And I'm telling you, that Jesus nowhere, the Bible nowhere tells us to look to angels or anything else for direction. It is the Spirit of God that we're supposed to follow based upon the Word of God. Now, you say, well, you're awful closed-minded. Well, I can afford to be. I'm right. Right? Simple as that. See? Like David Crockett. Make sure you're right, and go ahead. Alright? But our problem is, see the difference. You, I can narrow this down for you pretty easy here. I've got to send you on break in about a minute. The one thing that stood out about Jesus, the one thing everybody kept saying about him, is this. He doesn't talk like the scribes and the Pharisees. He speaks... With authority. You know why? Because the scribes and the Pharisees, when they got up to teach, they would say, now this verse, here's what it says. Now, here's what I think it means. And now Rabbi so-and-so says it means this. And I, you know, I don't know about that because 
It could be, I guess. But uh, anyway, well you, well, you just decide for yourself. That's the way they taught. Jesus got up and said, You've heard it said, but I say unto you. And every time he said that, he always changed what they said because what they had heard said was always wrong. And then he would turn around and say, You've heard it said, but I say unto you. And then he turns and always add to that, It is written. He always went back to the written word and he said, If you don't come to me, if you don't eat my flesh, if you don't drink my blood, you're going to die in your sins. And everybody got all upset. Even his own disciples started to leave him. And he turned to them and said, You guys going to go too? And Peter jumps up and says, Lord, where are we going to go? You got the words of eternal life. At least Peter was smart enough to know that what he was saying was truth. See, they could have went with the crowd. They could have went with all kinds of different methods and different things. And there's people going around. And that's, See, that's another thing. Christianity will never cost you a dime. Now think, it'll cost you your life. But it'll never cost you a dime. I mean, you can't buy into Christianity. You understand? There are groups out there claiming to be Christian groups teaching healing that charge you thousands of dollars to go to their program. Alright? That is not Christian. Do you understand? It is not. Now, that's why we don't charge you to come in here because the gospel is free. You say, well, but you sell tapes and CDs. Yeah, but you don't have to have them. See, if I told you, now listen, if you don't get my tapes, you're going to hell. My tapes are the only way to heaven. Then, obviously, that would be wrong, right? Well, I could do the same thing and say, listen, if you want to know actual healing, uh, you know, you've got to pay a, a fee to come to the seminar. No. Why? Because truth is free. You see, you can't sell truth. Right? You have no right to sell truth. Right? You, you understand what I'm saying? But people say, well, no, you've got to know. That's why Islam, you can tell Islam is a false religion. Why? Because it costs money. You see? And that's why Christianity, the way you see it on television, is becoming a false religion. Because everybody thinks it costs money. You know? You've got to be the... That, that's the other thing with our partner program. We got a partner program. It, it's not a matter of you know. Well, we have the fifty dollar partner, then we got the hundred dollar champion, and now we got the two hundred dollar superhero partner. <laughs> we ain't got that stuff. You're a partner at whatever level you believe you want to help donate to the ministry, and you get the same. I probably shouldn't tell you this, but if you give ten dollars or five dollars, you'll get the same CD that the person who gives a thousand dollars. Which <laughs> we don't have any of those, but I'm believing. Right? So, <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to. You know, stop you if you were that one. Okay. But see, you won't hear me go that route. And the reason being is because Christianity shouldn't cost you anything. Like I said, it will cost you your life, but it shouldn't cost you money to belong. You understand? Because why do you think God made faith? the predominant factor in, in, in Christianity. He could have said, all right, you remember I said Islam costs money? It's because they have to go to Mecca at least once in their life. And that means airfare. It means if you can't go, you pay somebody else to go for you. It, all, it comes back to money every time. And so, whenever that, that's, that's why we do the things that we, the way we do them is that Christianity will cost you everything. But the reason God made faith the predominant factor, is because it, what if he could have said, all right, whoever has, whoever gives, you know, $100 into the church, they're saved. Well, they went that route back in the Middle Ages, and they called it indulgences. Right? And it wasn't of God. And that's what got Martin Luther all upset, and he did the 95 Theses and started the Reformation, which is why we consider like this. Right? Problem was, we had a Reformation instead of a Revolution. Should have just overthrew the whole thing and started scratch. And so now, instead of that, from, from there we went on to a place where we ended up with 
trying to sell different things and, and charging different things and charging money for things, and the church has gotten to where it's all money-based. You know, honestly, Christianity doesn't cost a dime. You don't have to have a building. You, the early church didn't for 300 years. You met in houses. You met in all kinds of places. Got run out of the buildings, actually. And the, 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 basically, the downfall of Christianity was whenever it started getting into buildings. It went back into a Judaistic type of thing. You say, what has this got to do with healing? It's got to do with your mentality to understand that God loves people. He, he does not want a religion. He wants a relationship with people. Right? And He hates to see people in bondage. He wants to see people set free. So forget the cause. Set them free. Then lead them through discipleship into a relationship with Him. And you won't have to deal with all that stuff, all the causes, because they'll get out of them. We've been spending so much time saying, don't do this and don't do that, that nobody knows what to do. You know, I know what I can't do, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And that's why I've got to come in here and say, basically, we're supposed to be healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out the devil. Oh, really? I'm surprised. You know, all I knew is we, we were not supposed to cuss, not supposed to drink, not supposed to smoke, not all the things we weren't supposed to do. John Lake said one time he was walking down the beach. And as he was walking down there, this lobster came out, walking across the beach. And he walked over to it and looked at it and said, oh, well, Mr. Lobster, look at you. Standing looking at it, he says, hmm, do you smoke? And he said, he thought he heard the lobster say, no, of course I don't smoke. Well, do you cuss? Well, no, of course I don't cuss. Well, do you dip snuff? Which was big at that time. And he said, well, of course I don't dip snuff. He goes, oh, well, I'm glad to meet you. You're a Christian, just like me. <laughs> so see, it's not in the not doing. It's in the being. You understand? And when you be, you will do. See, you can't do and become. But when you become, you will do. Right? Now, one last thing. I know I'm five minutes over. How many of you believe in creation? The way, you know, Bible creation. How many of you believe in evolution? You know, that you came from monkeys or primordial muck or whatever else it is. Anybody believe that? Okay, now see, you say that you believe in creation. But your life produces. The way you live proves that you believe in evolution. Proves it. Because you think that if you come to church every Sunday long enough, eventually you will evolve into the Christian you're supposed to be. And in reality, it wasn't an evolution. And it's not an evolution to get you to be the Christian you're supposed to be. It was the act of a creation, a new creation, that made you instantly what you are supposed to be. See, your problem is not your... See, you keep trying to become... And the answer isn't in becoming. It's realizing you already are and just start acting like it. Isn't that right? You're not going to become any. You, you have already become what you're going to be. The problem is you should be, you have been tr- conformed by the world on the outside rather than being transformed from the inside out. That's the key. See, you're already where you need to be. Quit trying to reach and just live the life you know you're supposed to live. Just act like the Christian you want to be. And when you start acting that way, who are you going to act like? Jesus. And when you act like Jesus, you get Jesus' results. Isn't that simple? You know what? You know why? I've heard people say, this is so simple. That's the same thing they told Jesus. And even Jesus said that. Isn't that? He said, you've given this to the simple, but you've hid it from the religious, from the prudent, from from the people that try to figure it all out. Isn't that right? Do you realize that maybe you've missed basic Christianity because you've been trying to figure it all out? You've been trying to become a theologian. And God never told you to be a theologian. 
we got enough of them. Right? Like who the Charles Caps used to say? That the Bible is so simple we need help to mess it up. And unfortunately we've had a lot of help. Well, it's time to get out of that help. Get simple. Get back to basics. Right? Love God. Keep His commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You do that, you'll find yourself healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, preaching the gospel. You'll do it all. If you live by that. That, that, that statement is much deeper than you will realize until you start doing it. Amen? Take a break.